Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. So Valentine's Day is coming up. I don't know if that is a holiday you celebrate or not. I know some people feel very strongly about not giving in to a commercial holiday. Um, I'm going to be honest. I like it. I like celebrating Valentine's Day. It's always nice to feel loved and to tell other people you love them. Uh, For those that have listened to this podcast for a while, you know that we have a family tradition where the boys make the girls dinner on Valentine's Day. And and if I'm honest, it may not be the exact day. It could be the weekend. Usually it's the weekend after. But um, the rules are the boys have to plan the meal. Then they have to shop for it, cook it, and clean up. And the girls... Well, we get dressed up. We put on dresses and do our nails and our hair and our makeup. And it's just a lot of fun. And this year, the boys are trying to get out of it. Like, they're like, can we just go get pizza? And I'm like, no. And honestly, this is the last year that Jake, my oldest, is going to be home for Valentine's Day. So, yeah, they're not getting out of it. Um, They are required to cook us a meal once a year. And, and I'm not letting this tradition go. And I'm not going to let it go next year either because then Parker, it will be his last year. And then before you know it, Jim and Ben are going to be doing the whole thing themselves. And, and then I may give them an out with pizza, but not yet. Not yet at all. Uh, things are busy here at the Delgado house as they always are. Nothing new there. Uh, we're actually getting ready for junior prom. So Parker, my middle son is going to be going to the junior prom. He asked a date and um, I'm excited for him and he's excited to go as well, even though he'll tell you it's not a big deal. Uh, We got his tux fitted uh, last week and um, (laughs) it's so funny because I have to tell you a story and it's a little embarrassing. So um, Parker asked a date to go to the prom and I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, I think, I think dad knows her dad. Um, I think they've seen each other at events. So I did something like I, when Parker was out the one night, I went on her Instagram account and I found a picture of her and her dad. And I was like, oh, Jim, do you know her dad? And (laughs) Jim, um, he took the phone out of my hand and he went to enlarge it he took his two fingers on the screen to make the picture bigger to see if he did in fact recognize her dad and instead of making the picture bigger he liked it and I was like what did you do so then he tried to click it again to unlike it but then he kept clicking like unlike like unlike hearts were going everywhere and I was like Jim stop touching the phone you're making this 10 times worse so yeah we are not good stalkers. Like we are not good at stealthily looking at people's pictures online because, you know, Parker, you know, Parker wasn't as forthcoming with 
pictures of who his date was going to be. So I figured, well, let's check it out. Let's get to know her if, if he's not going to tell us. And yeah, well, she knows us now because Jim made it clear that we liked her picture on Instagram. And I don't have a private Instagram account. So when, when Jim liked her picture... It was Body Metrics Health and Wellness Services likes her picture. So talk about embarrassing. I felt horrible. Uh, we did tell Parker and he was rightfully angry. <laughs> but um, I couldn't stop laughing about it because I could. Jim was trying to be, he wasn't trying to do anything. But I can remember back to the days when I was just, you know, mortified that my parents did anything embarrassing. And I think that ranks up there with, with one of the best. So uh, yeah, no wonder my kids don't tell us who they're bringing to dances because that one thing, what I just shared, will happen. So I know you guys have stories too, similar to that, or something along the lines, or or maybe it's just us and and our <laughs> oh and our incompetency. Oh my goodness! So Valentine's Day, let's talk about something I feel very confident about. Not not technology or phones or how to enlarge pictures because that is not my strength either. Uh, but I do know nutrition. And so when we think of Valentine's Day, we think of hearts and flowers and candy and chocolate and sugar. So I figured why not do a refresher on sugar? I know I've done many episodes of this in the past, but it's always good to hear the information again and to kind of recommit to our goals, no matter what they may look like, depending on on what your goals are, whether it be a, a blood sugar goal or a weight management goal or an overall health goal, sports nutrition goal. Uh, it's important that we understand what sugar does to our body and how we can make changes if that is something we're looking to do. So we are wired for sugar at birth. We know that something sweet is usually good and safe, and we know that bitter is bad. So in our hunter-gatherer days, when we were trying to forage foods, we would use our taste to help us know whether or not something was safe to eat. And so this is, a, this is an innate experience for us. Like This is deep into our core and our DNA. Salt is a learned flavor. That's something that we learn to like over time. But sweetness is something that we're born with. Now the problem is our consumption of sugar has increased astronomically over the past 200 years. About a little, maybe like 250 years ago, I should say, the average American consumed two pounds of sugar per year. So that comes out to about half a teaspoon a day. Today, the average American consumes three pounds of sugar a week. A week! Two pounds of sugar a year compared to three pounds of sugar a week in just 250 years. That's a problem. That's a lot of sugar. Uh, if we were talking teaspoons, that's the equivalent of 42 teaspoons a day. So over the course of the past 200 years, we've gone from a half a teaspoon of sugar per day to 42 teaspoons of sugar per day. So 
top sources of sugar in our diets are beverages like sodas, juices, candy, baked goods, processed foods. All right. So it would make sense that if you want to do the biggest damage in decreasing your sugar content, we would look at these foods first because they are such concentrated sources of sugar. But there's also sugar found in other foods like grains and dairy products and condiments that we may not be thinking about because we're thinking of the heavy hitters, the juices, the baked goods, and the candy. But it's there, and we need to look at nutrition labels to help us determine how much sugar is in the food and if we want to consume it. So I always recommend to look at added sugars. All right, so if you look at a nutrition label, there will be total sugars and then a byline underneath that says added sugars. Total sugars is the total amount of sugar that's in the product, both naturally occurring and added from the manufacturer. That is what total sugars are. And then that second line underneath is what really um, breaks down how many added sugars are in a product, meaning how many sugars did the manufacturer add to the product to make it taste sweeter. Okay, so you've got total sugars, which is natural and added, and then they break out of the total how much has been added. And that's really helpful because prior to, what was it, 2011? No, I don't, I think it was even after that, like 2020, I think it was actually. We didn't have that second line. So it was really hard as dietitians to educate people on what foods have um, the highest amount of added sugar because we had to look at the ingredient list and see where sugar fell, you know, from top to bottom. So now that we have this byline called added sugars, it makes things so much easier. All right. For women, the goal is to be less than 24 grams of added sugar a day. And for men, it's less than 36 grams of added sugar a day. So I always make sure to note that number is not zero. You are allowed to have some grams of added sugar in your diet and still be considered healthy. It's For women, we're looking at six teaspoons a day. And for men, no more than nine teaspoons a day. So choose wisely. Another way that you can see how much sugar is in a product is look at the ingredient list. Ingredients are always listed from most to least. And so if you see sugar as one of the top three or five ingredients, you would know that this is a high sugar product and maybe look for a little bit of a healthier counterpart. I think because we have so much sugar in our diet, we are now at the point that we We've trained our taste buds to, to accept such, such high sugar foods that we no longer appreciate the sweetness of fruit anymore. Tell me if you agree with that statement. We're so used to high sugar foods that light up and excite and ignite our pleasure centers of our brain that we're no longer content with lower sugar foods or even naturally occurring sugar foods like fruit. People ask me all the time, what's the healthiest dessert, but not fruit? I'm like, that's it. That's the healthiest dessert, fruit. It has naturally occurring sugars, so you still get sweetness, 
There's nothing added to it because it's coming right from the ground and sweetness feels like dessert. It's the same thing um, I remember when my kids were growing up and my doctor was pretty adamant about making sure that they didn't have any toys that lit up or had sounds. He said it actually stunts their growth because part of um, speech and motor, uh, I'll call it motor health for lack of better words to explain it, is like if they're rolling a car across the floor and they go vroom, vroom, right? And they're making the noise themselves. They're actually using their oral muscles uh, and which will help with speech down the road. But if you have a car that already makes the sound as you're pushing it across the floor, that child has no reason to make speech. Same thing with light-up toys. When you give an infant a toy that lights up, that excites the pleasure centers of their brain. And so then they're used to things that light up and, and have lots of stimulation. And then you go and put them into a classroom a couple years later and the kids are bored. They can't sit still because their brain isn't getting that flashes of excitement anymore. And so we had very boring toys growing up for our kids because our doctor was really adamant about it. And I'm thankful he was because, you know, I definitely see the value in doing that. But, um, you know, you even see it now with phones, right? Phones have basically molded us into, into being impatient, right? We don't know how to sit anymore without being stimulated, uh, myself included. I mean, you know how hard it is not to grab the phone at a red light? Because, like, oh, I could be checking something. I could be exciting my brain. And meanwhile, like 20 years ago, I would just sit at a red light and wait, so we've conditioned ourselves to not be patient anymore. And we've conditioned ourselves to not be content with fruit because we have all these other options available to us. We've done this to ourselves. Big food companies have made it easy and cheap and extremely accessible. I always use the example of staples. I was picking up some things the other week and I'm in the checkout line and it is just lined with candy. When did Staples start having candy in the aisles? A couple years ago? 10 years ago? I don't know. I don't go to Staples that often. But candy is now in an office store. It's, you know, we always would talk about the checkout line at the grocery store. But now it's at the checkout line of other stores, too. It's just everywhere we look. You know, let's be honest. There's no produce in the checkout lines. It's not, oh, here's your last-ditch effort to buy grapes if you didn't think about it earlier when you were going through the store. No, it's all impulse buying. It's all things that are going to light up and excite the pleasure centers of your brain. And they know that while you're standing there, the longer you look at this candy the higher the chances you're going to buy it. All right. So here is a, here's a challenge for you if you're open to it. For two weeks, take out sugar in your diet. Right? Take it out. Even take fruit out if you want. For two weeks. 
not recommending to do this long term, but if you want to do an experiment, take all sugar out of your diet, even natural sugars, for two weeks. And then after the two weeks is over, I want you to reintroduce fruit. You will have a whole new appreciation for how sweet fruit is after you have taken out all the hyperpalatable foods. It will be mind-blowing. You're like, did you know how sweet a strawberry is? Yes, I did. (laughs) It will be January. The strawberries will be white inside. Or it'll be February, I should say, because that's what month we're in. Right? They're they're not even great strawberries. But if you take all the hyper-processed sugars out of your diet and all of a sudden try a piece of fruit, you will recognize how sweet and how fulfilling that fruit can be. Now listen, I'm a realist, and I like sugar too. I am not here to lecture you on how you need to take all the sugar out of your diet all the time. Diet culture will tell you that. Just take it out. Don't eat it. Just remove it. But I don't know if that, well, no, I do know. That's not realistic for 99% of the people. I honestly think if you want to be successful around sugar, you need to come up with a long-term plan. One that includes thoughtful consideration into what do you really want to do when it comes to sugar. I know for me, I wanted to learn how to eat sugar in moderation. I didn't know that, how to do that growing up. I lived in a family that there were four of us and we could eat a whole 9 by 13 chocolate cake with peanut butter icing in less than 24 hours. I think we just had it all day (laughs) after every meal and at snacks, right? I didn't know how to eat sugar in moderation. Um, And I don't blame my parents, but I just was never taught how to do it. It was like, oh, desserts, let's binge on it because it tastes so good. And I'm not sure when we're going to get it again. So let's just eat all of it, even though we would get it quite frequently, Again, don't blame my parents for this. Um, This is just our situation. And I know it's very similar to a lot of other people's. Right? So I want you to first and foremost think about what do you want your relationship with sugar to look like? I used to firmly believe people grew up in one of two camps. You either grew up in the camp that could have a piece of chocolate and walk away and be content. Or you were the people that would have a piece of chocolate and then because you had one you would have to eat the whole bag because you didn't know how to to eat in moderation and I thought you were just born into one of the two camps and once you were born into that camp you could never go to the other camp but then one day I heard a lady talk and she gave me a powerful sentence that changed my life and that sentence was what if I'm wrong I really want to do an episode about this uh, in the next coming week. So stay tuned for that. But what if I'm wrong? What if you don't have to stay in the camp that you grew up in? What if you could learn how to do things in a different way? Just like salt, if you can learn to like it, does that mean you can learn to not like it? Can you unlearn a behavior? 
I mean, isn't that what neuroplasticity is? It's telling us that, that we now can learn new behaviors. We can unlearn old things and replace it with a new way. And if that is true, can I learn how to eat sugar in moderation? Because I will, I will tell you, believe me, I did not think that was possible. I thought this was just my, this was just my path. This is just what I was always going to have to struggle with sugar. And, but I started asking a better question. What if I'm wrong? What would that look like? And so I want to help you. If this is something you're struggling with, you don't know how to stop eating sugar. You don't think that there's any hope for you. I'm going to pose the same question to you. What if you're wrong? What if there is a way? And what would that look like? So I started doing some research on how to be in a different camp. How do people just eat one piece of candy or have smaller volumes of sugar and be okay with it? There has to be a way because those people exist out in the world. I don't know a lot of them, but I know they exist. So how do they think about sugar? What are their habits and, and their thoughts? Because clearly they were different from mine because I was getting a different outcome. And one of the things that I learned when you're trying to be more mindful about your sugar consumption is mindfulness stretches out beyond just being conscious of what you're doing. We actually call it the five S's to mindfulness. Sit, slow, simplify, savor, and smile. And so I started applying these five S's to eating sugar, eating chocolate, right? First one, sit. Are you sitting down when you're eating these foods, right? You can't be eating them standing up or hovering over the kitchen sink, I learned for myself that if I wanted to be more responsible around sugar and be more conscientious of how much I'm eating, I had to be in a position to be successful. And that first position of success was being seated at the table. I also had to slow down my pace. Instead of shoving it in my mouth in two bites, I had to actually slow it down. I practiced this with a piece of Dove chocolate because a client told me one time, you're not supposed to chew chocolate, only suck it. And so I did. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's sit down. Let's slow down the pace instead of chewing two bites and swallowing and then wanting another one. Let's slow down the whole experience. And so I just let it melt in my mouth. And the whole time I did that, I simplified. I didn't multitask. I actually just focused on what I was doing, which meant I closed my eyes and I moved the chocolate around my tongue. I didn't look at a phone, a TV, a screen, a computer. I made sure I was by myself so that I could fully enjoy the experience. And the fourth S, I savored. I thoroughly enjoyed that piece of chocolate. 
And the whole time I was thinking, this tastes amazing. I don't want to miss a single part of this experience. Stay focused, stay engaged, stay mindful. The last S when you're doing mindful eating is smiling. All right. So before you eat your piece of chocolate, do you feel like smiling? Because if you're in a good mood and in a, in a good place emotionally, chances are you will be more successful with stopping at one. If you are angry, agitated, annoyed, stressed, probably not, probably not in the best position. So I always ask my clients, check in with your mood before you do it. Do, would you feel like smiling if I asked you to? And I started practicing Right? That's the other part. We just want to hear the information and be like, okay, cool, I'll do it. And then, you know, if it doesn't go well the first time, oh, I guess I, it won't work for me. Like some of these things you have to practice over and over and over again. What if I'm wrong means what if, what if I'm not supposed to get this on the first try? What if I'm actually going to have to put time and effort into that? Wouldn't that be okay if it means a lifetime of eating responsibly? I mean, I think that's worth it. The question is, do you think the investment is worth it? You see, I think when it comes to sugar, you have a choice. You can try to avoid it altogether, which is what diet culture will tell you to do. You know, trying to avoid it altogether, I don't know, that causes a lot of stress and anxiety. I know that personally from trying to do it myself in the past. And usually the consequence of trying to avoid it altogether led to a binge and eventual awakening. I call it the dieting bow and arrow. The more you pull back on your bow, the further the arrow will launch in the other direction. That's what a bow and arrow does. But in a dieting bow and arrow, we make all these rules. Don't eat sugar. Don't ever have it in anything. Not even fruit, God forbid. And don't eat sugar at all ever in your entire life for the rest of your life. And then you try to hold that position for as long as you can. The problem is, however far back you have pulled on that bow will be how much you binge on the other side. And I've seen people do this all the time. They're all ready to start their diets. I'm going to do good. I'm going to finally get this weight off and I'm going to do all the right things. And they go at it way too hard, way too fast, end up not being able to fulfill their unrealistic checkboxes. And eventually, because they screwed up, they just, they just go for it. I might as well just eat the whole bag, right? And so I find that trying to avoid it altogether hasn't worked. And it rare, I'm, I'm not even going to say rarely, it never works for anybody that I've ever worked with in my 20 some years of doing nutrition counseling. But that is one option. Another option, another choice, second one, is to just say, screw it. I'm just a person that needs chocolate and I'm just going to, I'm going to have to deal with the consequences, right? I mean, that's a lot of stress and anxiety too. Constantly worried if you're going to be diabetic or if you already have elevated blood sugars, you know, how that's going to affect your life usually leads to weight gain. You know, I think that's a pretty stressful life too. So, you know, 
you get to make your choices, but your choices always have some type of effect, some type of consequence. Or you have a third choice. I'm going to figure it out and do the work. And although it may not be, I don't know, I was going to say it might not be flowers and and sunshine and rainbows every day because there's going to be some short-term uncomfortable in it. The long-term effect is you feel good, you look good, and your body's healthier. All of them require some type of work in some way. We, I know we want it to be really easy and simple. If you hear nothing else from this podcast, the one thing I will say is please come up with realistic goals. All right. I really believe there is some place in the middle between avoiding it altogether and just going off. There is a gray area. I know your brain will tell you there's not, but I promise you there is. And it all starts with making realistic goals. So I'm going to give you five steps on how to make a realistic goal when it comes to sugar. Okay? I already gave you the recommendations for what constitutes a healthy diet. But let's make a plan for how to get there. All right? So step one is what do you really want? Make sure you're clear on this. Because if there is any ambiguity, if there's any confusion your brain will just tap out. So what do you want to do when it comes to sugar? I know for me, I would like to have a dessert once or twice a week and on special occasions. That's what I want. Knowing that's what I want, my next step is to figure out, okay, where am I starting? I know what I want to do. What am I currently doing now? Again, I used this analogy in a, the week before or maybe two weeks before. It's like when you put directions into Google Maps, you need two coordinates, where you're going and where you're starting. We cannot come up with a map of, or driving directions if we don't have both of those coordinates. So it's no different when we're trying to create a plan for our diet. Number one, where do you want to be? I'm going to add, is that even realistic? Number two, where are you starting at now? All right. Let's say that you want to have dessert twice a week and on special occasions. Great. Okay. Where are you starting at? What are you doing right now? Are you having something every night after dinner and after lunch? Are you starting out with a really high sugar coffee beverage every morning? Where are you starting? Where is the sugar at in your diet? And then step three is we just make small steps. Don't try to make giant leaps. We know that backfires. Giant leaps is going back to the, I need to avoid it altogether. Small steps is, all right, I did an assessment. I found that I have 60 grams of added sugar in my diet every day, and I should be closer to 20. Can I go from 60 to 50? Right? They've got to be small steps if you want it to count. 
Don't discount the small steps. I know you want the giant leaps, but the small steps is actually the way to get there. So you look at where you're starting and you just ask the question, can I just shave off 10 grams or can I just shave off five grams and be consistent with that? Step number four is you celebrate the wins. We've talked about this many times. You have to celebrate the wins so that your brain gets the dopamine hit to know to do this decision again in the future. All right. So when you go from 60 to 55, you throw yourself a dance party. You high five your cat. You call your mom or you call me and I celebrate with you. We have to celebrate our wins. And don't you dare go into that whole, yeah, but, you know, I'm still not at my goal, so it's not worth celebrating. Uh Uh-uh. We cannot go from one extreme to the other without celebrating our wins because it won't stick. If you're constantly delaying happiness till the goal, you may never get happy. We have to learn how to be happy for ourselves along the way. And we have to learn how to be our own cheerleaders. It's great when other people acknowledge the, the effort we're putting into things, but I guarantee you there are going to be times where you put effort into it and nobody notices. And if the only time you're proud of yourself is if somebody gives you a high five, then you're going to be frustrated and discouraged and likely to quit what you're doing. So learn how to be your own cheerleader. There's nothing wrong with that. Learn how to celebrate the wins when they happen. And then finally, when you regress, when you screw up, because it will happen, you are not a robot, you are a human, give yourself some grace and move on. Here's the thing. It is never the slip up that causes a a negative reaction. You have a piece of dessert on a Tuesday when you told yourself you weren't going to have it, that having that dessert does not cause you to gain weight. Your response to having the dessert is usually what causes people to gain weight because the response is usually, well, now I've screwed up, so I might as well just finish it and start again tomorrow. Or now I messed up. My perfection isn't there anymore. So now I'm going to eat everything that I've been withholding from myself because Monday I'm going to start all over again and never have any of these foods again. So I might as well just get it out of my system so that way it's not a temptation when I have to get really strict again. It's never the slip up. It's the response to the slip up that causes problems. And here's something else I see. We need to start creating a plan for when we mess up. Because you will mess up. We like to create meal plans. We like to create exercise plans. But one thing that we forget to do is to create a plan for when we mess up. Do we really think that's never going to happen? I ex- I gave an example in an episode a long time ago of, of future self and present self. 
We always think the future version of ourselves is going to be a rock star and never mess up and never slip up. And life is going to be perfect and kids aren't going to interrupt us and bosses aren't going to ask us to stay late. And and as long as we just have this dream, everybody is going to be supporting us and never getting in our way of accomplishing it. That does not exist. You're going to mess up sometimes. What is your plan for when you mess up? How do you talk to yourself when you mess up? What are the foods you eat when you mess up? How do you get back on track? If you don't have a plan for that, your brain is going to revert back to what it's always done. And if that has been overeating or finishing off bags of stuff or ordering other foods that you don't even want to eat, but because you've restricted them too, you might as well eat them because let's get it out of our system. That will be what you turn to if you do not give your brain a plan in those moments. So figure out what you really want to do. Then assess where you're starting. Make those small steps. Celebrate the wins. And give yourself some grace when you slip up. And if you need help with this, this is one of the things dietitians are absolutely great with. They're great at helping you identify what are the small steps that you can take. They're great at being cheerleaders. They're great at supporting you and creating accountability. We love our jobs and we want nothing more than to help you reach your goals. So if you are thinking about meeting with somebody to help you, I, I can't stress enough. I'm biased, but I think you should go to Body Metrics. All right, we accept most health insurance plans. We uh, have virtual and in-person sessions. We also have a membership group called My Nutrition Coach. We have lots of resources to help you. All right, you just got to go to bodymetricshealth.com and you can see all the options available to you. I think you can have sugar on Valentine's Day. I really do. I don't think you have to be scared. But I do think you should have a plan. And I think you're going to do great. You're going to do awesome. All right. Let's get to your recipe. Today is a healthy mug cake. So this is when you're in one of those moods where you just really are looking forward to something sweet, but you don't want to make an entire cake because you just don't want all that food accessible for the week. So we're going to make a single serving healthy mug cake. And I believe it's only like 106 calories. So calorically wise, it's pretty light um, and it's pretty delicious. So for this recipe, you're going to need two tablespoons of flour, two tablespoons of unsweetened almond milk, one and a half tablespoons of coconut sugar, one tablespoon of unsweetened cocoa powder, one teaspoon of melted coconut oil, a quarter teaspoon of baking powder, and a quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract. In a microwave-safe coffee mug, go ahead and whisk together the flour, cocoa powder, coconut sugar, and baking powder. So basically all your dry ingredients. And then next, you're going to whisk in your wet ingredients your almond milk, melted coconut oil, and vanilla. And just go ahead and give that a good stir until a batter forms. Next, you're going to microwave on high for about 60 seconds or until the cake rises to its maximum height. Um, And that's it. Be careful taking the mug out of the microwave because it's going to be really hot. 
Uh, optional, you could add dark chocolate chips right before you microwave. So just put a couple on top if you want an extra burst of chocolate. Uh, if you don't own a microwave, you're going to preheat your oven to 350 and you're going to bake the mug cake in a greased ramekin for about 12 to 18 minutes. All right, so that is your recipe for the week. I hope you have a fantastic Valentine's Day. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for sharing this podcast. All right. The, something that can be really helpful is to rate the podcast and share it with others. Um, that just gets our message out to, to more people. And, um, and that would be really appreciated. So thank you all for showing up today. I will see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrian Delgado, and I'll see you next week.